That's just downright embarrassing. I need to tell you that I am not a preacher. I'm a therapist. I do best with one-on-ones and one-on-twos and one-on-families. And that's what I really like to do. But every once in a while, uh, Casey um, calls me and I come up here and do this. And um, this is questionable uh, regarding his mental health. How many people in here, and tell you what, we'll do it this way. Everybody in here who does not have a past, stand up. Everybody's got a past. Hmm. Everybody who does not have some form of a family that they grew up in or came from, stand up. Ah, we're normal. So when you look at what is emotionally unhealthy, you will always find a word connected, stuck. When there's emotional unhealth, you're stuck in something or some some mode or some uh, thinking or some emoting or some way of looking at the history or the present or perhaps the fear of the future. You're stuck. So the big idea for um, the message today is Jesus has the ability to break the power our yesterdays and yesteryears has over us. Let me repeat that. Jesus has the ability to break the power our yesterdays and yesteryears has over us. Some of us are sitting here wondering, oh man, where is this going to go? And I don't blame you. Because it can go into very painful places. And what we're going to see is that it does not have to remain that way. Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this, Emotionally healthy spirituality is about reality, not denial. Denying what has happened to you or who or where you came from. Or illusion, making something out of it that it's not. It is about embracing God's choice to birth us into a particular family in a particular place at a particular time in history. That choice, God's choice, granted to us certain opportunities and gifts. It also handed us a certain amount of what I call emotional baggage in our journey through life. For some of us, this load was minimal. For others, it turned out to be a a heavy one uh, to carry. In fact, some of us are so accustomed to walking with such excess weight that we cannot imagine living any other way. Now, I have have clients all the time, uh, every day, um, except Sundays. And and, uh, they will tell me, you know... 
I, I wasted my life. I, I, I've, I've wasted this because this, this and this and this took over my life and I, 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 just, I just wasted it. And, and it's gone now. And they're very sorrowful for this. And maybe it, maybe it was alcohol or maybe it was uh, drugs or maybe it was carousing or maybe it was um, um, uh, some sort of a other kind of an addiction like gaming or, or wasting time or wasting money or wasting whatever. And we wasted it. And now it's gone. I'm here to tell you that God wastes nothing. Not one nanosecond of time is wasted. God is building a story in you. And that story is for His glory. And that story needs to be told because others are suffering from the same things right now that you are. Now, Jesus said some words, and we're going to uh, kind of, this is going to be the big, the big passage for, this, for today. He said, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Your burden might not feel light today. You might be weighted down with some pretty heavy stuff. You might be struggling with some issues. You might be feeling like you can't overcome whatever it is that's in your way. You might have all kinds of heaviness and weightiness and, and, uh, and um, just a little bit of, uh, just maybe a glimmer of hope, but not much. And this weight is dragging you down. But I'm here to tell you that the Scripture never lies. And Jesus said, the burden um, and the burden I give you is light. The burden He puts on you is light. Now, burdens we put on ourselves, I, I will confess this. I, I, I have been in my life and probably still am to some degree because I'm not totally broken free from it, a perfectionist. And that is a heavy burden to put on yourself. There's burdens that others put on you. And the burdens others put on you, including your family, can be very, very heavy. Bosses at work. People, people that, uh, that you know that think that you are more than what you are. I got that happening to me all the time. People, people think that I'm a whole lot better person than I actually am. And that makes me crazy because I got to live up to that. And I, and, I, and I know I can't. Right? And try to convince them that you're not more than 
what you really are. They don't believe you. And that adds more to weight. It just goes nuts. And you have your own stuff. I can't imagine what it is, but I can understand it. Now that brings us to a question. There has been for thousands of years, millennial, millennium, many millennium, this idea of generational sin or generational curses. Anybody heard of it? Yeah, I would venture to say everybody's heard of it in some form or fashion. Okay, it's a very common thought, and it's in all, it crosses all cultures. All cultures have the same, the same ideas. And uh, I want to read to you about, uh, about it a little bit in Exodus 20. Um, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them and worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That's generally where people stop reading. Because they want to believe in this generational sin idea. But, verse 6 says, But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Now, what's an idol of any kind? Let me just give you a couple of idols of any kind. Because when we think of idols, we think of the golden calf, and we think of, you know, maybe, uh, maybe uh, some statues someplace or some, uh, something like that. But let me, let me just tell you some idols that might be a little bit more, um, might hit you maybe even below the belt. Family secrets. Well, how can that be an idol? I don't worship my family secret. Oh, yes, you do. You keep it. You protect it. You put it aside like it's precious. How about image and reputation? I got, I got an image to uphold here. I, I have a reputation that I have to, be, I have to keep. And as you begin to pour your effort and your love into that image and that reputation, guess what? You are worshiping it, making an idol out of it. How about the stuff you have? Materialism. How about the, how about the, the things that you accrue? How about the stuff that you really like? You know, like I, I really like my truck. I got to admit, I really like it. But I got to tell you, if God told me to give it away, it's gone gone. Now, don't come up to me after the service and say, hey, God told me to tell you that you should give me your truck. Uh, That won't work. And the last one, probably the most important one, is pride. Pride is an idol. And we worship it. That's why we can't say, yeah, I'm sorry, I did that. That's why we can't admit or confess to the small sins or the big ones. But when we read Ezekiel, 
it gives us a different picture of this. Ezekiel, um, in the 18th chapter, um, was, was talking about this generational sin idea, this generational curse idea. And he says, what? You ask? Doesn't the child pay for the parent's sins? No. For if the child does what is right, uh, just and right, and keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if the wicked person, uh, people turn away from their, all their sins and begin to obey my command, my decrees, um, and do what is just and right, will the, they will not, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. This is the, the Exodus passage and the, and the Ezekiel passage are not contradictory. Because the idea of generational sins and curses is false. It's not real. It's not real. What it is, psychology has, has an answer for it, and it's called learned behaviors. Learned behaviors. So if, if, um, if, uh, if I come from a family of, of, of uh, people who use alcohol and... Uh, and uh, and I decide that I'm going to use alcohol. Is is that a generational curse or a generational sin? Because we were because I'm talking about not just using alcohol. I'm talking about drunks. No, it's a choice I made to follow the family tradition, and it's a learned behavior because everybody in my family did so. It must be okay. How about shouting and yelling at one another? Yeah, there's one. How about withdrawing when there's a conflict? That's one. We could keep on going until the end of the service is over and beyond about these things. And I won't trouble you with that. But I want you to know that when God looks at these things, it's very different. So we mean by generational sins, learned behaviors. These are very powerful motivators in our life. In, in, in our early life, we learn from our parents. Then we learn from our siblings. Then we learn from our friends. Then we learn from schools. Then we learn from culture and then workplaces, etc. And it keeps, keeps on going. Some of it's healthy. Much of it is neutral. But a substantial amount is sinful. And all concepts and behaviors of the family are very powerful. Why is that? Well, because from the time that you could uh, put the bottle down and understand language, you were under the family influence. That's the longest influence in your life. See, because you say, well, I had a hard time in school. Well, okay, you had a hard time in school. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was the students who gave you a hard time. Maybe it was the teachers who gave you a hard time. My case, it was the principal who gave you a hard time because my dad was the principal. <laughs> and 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 you and you know you had a hard time in school. But school started at a, at later in your life. Family started at the beginning of your life. 
it's the longest term that you have. And every family has passed down through generations family patterns. Look at this. Abram lied. Isaac lied. Jacob lied. Jacob's children lied. And it appears like maybe Joseph uh, broke that pattern. We don't know. He might have been a liar too. We, scripture just doesn't record it. But, but there's a pattern of family there that learned how to tell untruth. Not good. So let me share about my family. Uh, we, 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 I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. Can't remember if I ever went to church. Uh, might have gone to church with my grandmother a couple times, but don't really remember anything about it. And uh, when, when uh, my, my mom was a teacher and my dad was a middle school principal, and so we would have family dinner. That was the rule in the house. You have to have family dinner and everybody better be there on time. Okay, so we'd sit down at family dinner, and in sixth grade, I'll never forget, the, the Catholic kids were coming into the school. Um, uh, the Catholic sc- school was over, and the sixth graders were coming into the public school, and they were all new, and we were very curious about what was going on in them, and they were talking about their first communion, and they were talking about catechism, and they were, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I had no idea what any of this was. So I'm sitting there. And I say to Dad, I say, hey, Dad, these kids are talking about catechism and, and First Communion. And he looks at me right in the eyes, and he says, we're grubs. We don't talk about God. I'll never forget that. Now, later, he became a Christian counselor and spent the rest of his life serving Jesus. But at that point... He was telling me what grubs, who grubses are and what they do and do not do. And one of those things was we do not talk about God. Another thing, grubs. Grubses never lie. Which was curious to me because that very phrase is a lie. Because grubses do lie. But he said, grubses never lie. They never cheat on their mates. They are faithful Grubses never get C's or B's. And, and D's and F's, were, he didn't even need to say that. So that only left one thing that you had to do. Grubses never fail at anything. Wonder where my perfectionism came from? And grubses never quit. Those are just a few of the family heirlooms that I received. That was tongue-in-cheek. You're allowed to chuckle at that. Heirlooms, right? Yet I grew up in a wonderful family. I grew up in a, in a, in a really healthy family. I, it, was, it was marvelous. And, um, and yet I still had this baggage, this weight, this heaviness that was laid there. Um, and every family has these. John 9 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him. 
Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now we know that later Jesus healed the man born blind. And that was a miracle, and that was wonderful, and that was awesome. And that was the reason why he was born blind, so that God would get glory for the healing of his blindness. But that's not all this passage means. Why was he born blind? Was it because of his parents' sins or his own sins? It was neither. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in you. If you never had anything you had to be saved from, why would it be a big thing for Jesus to be the Savior? If you never had anything broken or, or, or unhealthy or stuck, what would be the use of Him being the healer? If you never had any mess in your life and you never had anything that you couldn't get out of because you screwed it all up, why would we need a Redeemer? Jesus has the power to save, heal, redeem, make new, and make holy that which is unholy. Me. You. You see why? It's important that we don't look at our lives as wastes. Why we understand that He breaks these powers in our life so that He can get glory for it and receive worship for it. A guy asked me the other day, this is funny, and uh, pardon me, this isn't in the script. Um, but you got to forgive me because I'm not a preacher, right? Okay. Okay. So he says to me, he says, God's a glory hound. He, he, says, he says, every time I turn around, somebody's telling me I got to give God glory, and God wants to be glorified, and God wants to be honored, and God wants to be blessed, and God wants to be, and God wants to be, and God wants to be. And, and he says, that's a pretty arrogant God. I said, well, it, it, it's, it's not that so much that God wants to be glorified. It's that he is glorious. It's not so much that he wants to be, uh, he wants to be in charge. He's sovereign. It's not so much that he wants to be worshipped. It's that he is so wonderful, we can't help ourselves. See, there's always two, coin, two sides of the coin. You've got to look at both of them. Right? Okay, so blessings and sins. Even the most difficult family environments, there are positives. And even in the best family environments, there are negatives. Truth is sometimes hard to find. You ever notice that? You ever sit down with a brother or sister and 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 recount some times that you uh, had from quite a while ago, and you you're you're just sort of dumbfounded. I, I, I sat with my brother a couple years ago, and and he's telling me these stories, and 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 I'm thinking to myself, that's not how I remember that at all. 
So, so he's got to be wrong. Because my truth is the truth. And he's got to have that all twisted up. So I said that to him. Because Grubbses also are very direct. And, and he said to me, he said, he said, no, you're wrong. And I can prove it. So he, he reaches into his wallet and he pulls out a picture. He was right. I was wrong. And then I began to understand the truth is sometimes hard to find in families. Especially when you're looking in the rearview mirror at things that happened. Memories and perspectives are subjective. That means of you. We think we see through, through the eyes, but there were other eyes also looking at the thing from different perspectives. Now watch this. We're back to our, our, our passage in Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me. Now John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Most important word in that verse is the. He's not one of many ways, one of many truths, one of many lives. He is the one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life. So if you're looking for the truth, he says, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Of course, the, of course I'm preaching to uh, people that just don't have any of those. So it really doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Now, I want you to see that there is a picture of an ox somewhere. There it is. Do you see the big animal on the left and the smaller animal on the right? Those of you who were not raised on farms will understand this. That yoke right there, the one that you see right there, takes two men to lift that up, and it is hard work to get it up, the bar over top of their necks. It's heavy. The ox on the left, the big one, is the more mature one, the one that understands the job, the one that pulls 90% of the weight. The other one is the learning ox, the disciple ox. And, 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 the, and, the, and that burden is very light because the other ox, the older one, is pulling most of the weight. And that one's learning how to pull and learning how to be obedient to the master. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Notice he doesn't say take your yoke on you. He says, take my yoke on you. I'm the, I'm the lead ox. I'm the, I'm the mature one. I'm the one that's carrying most of this weight. And let me teach you because you're the learning ox. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, meaning I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not going to put you down because you're the learning ox. And you will find rest for your souls. Your soul is comprised of three parts. 
your mind, your intellect, your will or your power, the thing that drives you, and your emotions, your feelings. Let me give you rest for your souls. Most of the weight that we carry around is soulish weight. And when we come to Him, and we learn from Him, and we put our burdens down, and we pick up the one that He gives us, which is light, guess what happens to us? We get a little bit joyful. We get a little bit happy. We get a little bit of, we get a little bit of uh, elation going. We get a little bit of hands up, let's praise God going. All family environments, every family environment represented in this place today, all of them are designed by God to teach us, grow us, and mature us into the very image of Christ, no matter how difficult it is or was. And when we come to Him and lay our burdens at His feet and learn from Him, He makes those burdens light. We're adopted into his family. Did you know that? See, when we talk about the family of God, oftentimes what we mean is the church. We're not talking about the church here. Because, because in the church, we're all brothers and sisters. And there's one father who's all loving, all knowing, everywhere, all powerful, and he loves us. Did you know that God is madly in love with you, head over heels, can't stand himself because he loves you so much? Did you know that he killed the fatted calf for you? He put a robe around your shoulders. He put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. Did you know that? And he does it every day. Because he's so happy to have you. Listen to these words in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. When we're adopted into God's family, we're privileged to break all of the past family behaviors and systems and negatives because now we're part of God's family. It doesn't mean we abandon our, fa- our, our, our human family because we love our human family or we should try. And, and so what we end up with is now I'm in God's family. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to get A's all the time. I don't have to be so careful about every little thing in my life. I don't have to be a grubs. I can be a Jesus person. I can be a Jesus Mikey instead of just a grubs. And I love my family. So we're adopted into his family... We're privileged to break all of these negative patterns. And God sees you as 
holy and without fault. That's not how you see yourself. I'm guaranteeing you that. I've been doing this therapy thing for about 42 years. And I know that that doesn't work very often in most people. It should, but it doesn't. See yourself through God's eyes and what you will see is holy and blameless. What you will see, because he sees you through the veil of Jesus' blood, what you will see is perfection. What you will see is loveliness. What you will see is overcoming success. Because that's what he sees when he looks at you. You might try looking at you the way he looks at you once in a while. It might make you happy. And then it says these words. These words just absolutely slay me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He, he sees me without fault. He decided to adopt me into his family. And then it says, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure to have me. It gave him great pleasure, and this is what he wants. If that doesn't reach you, you might be dead. He loves his children. He called a little children to himself, a little child to himself, and he put the child among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does, what does humble mean here? It means willing to grow. I'm not as mature as I think I am, even at my age. It means willing to learn. I don't know everything. It means willing to grow. It means discipleship. It means discipleship. And you can't be a disciple if you're emotionally unhealthy or spiritually unhealthy. Jesus has the ability to break the power our yesterdays and yesteryears has over us. Now I'm going to leave you with a good word. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Jesus appears. But we do know that we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He really is. Watch this. All who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Would you pray with me? Father, we carry these burdens and you tell us to come to Jesus and you made a way for us and you gave us a life 
And Jesus is that way, that truth, and that life. Help us to get there. Make our feet move in His direction. Make our ears tune to His voice. Make our eyes look for Him on the horizon and right before us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be free, to be yours, to carry the burden that you give us, which is light. Amen.